Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so, one time I needed to go down to San Diego Hardware, and my little boys and I, we had to walk on Fifth Avenue because we couldn't park in front of San Diego. Hardware. So it would mean we had to walk by the pornographic shops. So I told my boys, I said, now, boys, I said, now, we're going down there. I said, you just walk down. You look, just look at the sidewalk. <laughs> I said, I said, don't look to the side. And I said, just do what it says in Proverbs 4.25. Proverbs 4.25 says, let thine eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. So it's the whole matter of the eyes. And Job was a person who struggled to control his eyes. And he knew that his heart was going to follow right behind his eyes, which is why he said in Job 31.7, Job 31.7, if my step hath turned out of the way, mine heart walked after mine eyes, if my heart have been deceived by a woman. So the picture here is that his heart is walking right after his eyes. States this step by step. Now, and then the wisest man in the world, Solomon, he fell. He fell in this area. And it says in Nehemiah, when he was rebuking the Jewish people because they had, were falling in the same way that Solomon did, Nehemiah 13.26, Nehemiah 13.26, he says, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. So you can kind of picture Solomon, and he's looking back over his life. He's envisioning his heart following after his eyes, his downfall, and he says, I've got to write something down so people don't do the same thing I did. So he writes Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23 that says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This is a sequence, the eyes, the heart, just like the Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote when he wrote this, he says, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. That's just following what the Lord is saying here in Matthew 5. Only we would probably add one more phrase to the top of that, which would be, so a glance, the eye, so a glance, reap a thought, so a thought, reap an act, so an act, reap a habit, so a habit, reap a character, so a character, reap a destiny. Because that's what the Lord is saying in verse 28, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her. And Job was so troubled by this, by his eyes looking where they shouldn't have looked and by the impure thoughts. It's interesting because he says, 
I made a bargain with my eyes. I made a deal with my eyes. It says in Job 31.1, Job 31.1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? So it's almost like Job could have just written right after that, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. So he's so concerned with this about what his eyes are looking at that he says he made a covenant with his eyes. Now, that's pretty graphic. I mean, you know, Job, he says he makes an agreement with his eyes. I mean, can't you imagine the conversation that, that Job might have had with his eyes? You know, the negotiation part. He might have said something like, now look, eyes. Here's the deal, (laughs) he would have said. If you look on a woman, then my heart is not gonna be pure. I'm gonna be impure. And that's important for my heart to be pure because blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So eyes, if you feed my heart with the impure, then you won't be able to see God. And seeing God is far more pleasurable. And so let's make a deal. Here's the deal. You don't look on a woman to feed my heart to lust and get defiled and then you get to see God. And his eyes said, that sounds good. And so then Job walks away, and in Job 31.1, it says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. It was successful. Anyway, okay, so you think I'm crazy. That's fine. All right, anyway, so Abraham said that Sarah was his sister. Pharaoh took her to be in his harem, and then he realized that God warned him, don't touch her. And then he returns her. Pharaoh returns Sarah to Abraham. It's interesting what he says in Genesis 20, verse 16, Genesis 20, verse 16, when he says, unto Sarah, he said, behold, I've given thy brother a thousand feet of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. So what he was saying to her is he was saying, may your husband be a protective cover of you like a veil so that others won't look and lust after you. Now the Lord, again, he's going through saying things which are astonishing, which are shocking to the people. He talks about the heart. He says, committed adultery with her already in his heart. So you can imagine the people sitting there thinking, I never heard of heart adultery before. That's what he's talking about, heart adultery. Heart adultery, that's radical. That's the adultery that comes from thoughts and desires, and he's condemning that. And this is what David said in Psalm 66, 18, Psalm 66, 18, when David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's interesting, though, the word regard, the Hebrew word ra'ah, which means to see. So what David was saying there is say, if I imagine, if I see, if I envision iniquity in my heart, then God's gonna withdraw himself. He's talking about fantasies, because the Bible calls thoughts and desires like that, calls it the conception of sin. It says in, in James 1.14, James 1.14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when sin hath conceived, brings forth death. Lust is pictured as a conception of a pregnancy. And just as sure as their conception, of the, there's gonna be pregnancy, and just as sure as their pregnancy, there's gonna be a birth and the birth is the sin. And so the Lord makes this statement about adultery in the heart, and it's almost like a signature teaching for him. It's like you can picture how the Lord comes known by this statement that he's made. 
and it was this teaching in verse 28 here about the adultery in the heart that came into strong play when it was an early morning. It was an early morning, and he was in the temple, and a shocking thing happened. It's in John 8, 2, John 8, 2. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple. All the people came unto him. He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery when they had set her in the midst. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? This they said, tempting him. They might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone. I mean, what a scene. What a scene. It's early in the morning. The Lord's come into the temple. He's there to teach. And all of a sudden, in that same morning, men burst into a house, catch a woman in the act of adultery, drag her out, set her before the Lord, and demand his verdict. And the Lord doesn't engage. He doesn't engage in their outrage. He just stoops down. He writes something. And then he gets up, and he looks at them and says, okay, he's without sin, I'm stoner. And all those men think of what sin? Obviously, the sin of adultery. And all those men realize that before his teaching that they would have said, I never committed the act of adultery. I'm not an adulterer. But now it's all different because they know that he has taught, verse 28, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery. And they each think of how many times they looked on a woman and lusted, and then the record says that they began, that first of all, they were convicted by their own consciences, and then they went out, and it says, beginning at the eldest to the last. Now, why did the eldest leave first? Because they looked on more women. They had a longer list that they lusted after, and they were the most guilty in their heart, and they felt that. So this verse in verse 28 is probably the most used verse in the Bible to strip away this claim that I'm not a sinner, like the testimony of Dr. James Tour. Dr. James Tour is a Jewish professor of chemistry at Rice University in Houston. He put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and when he was asked, well, how did that happen? It was this verse that God used to call him out. He was a freshman in college when a young man from the Navigator's Campus Ministry shared the gospel with him and had him read Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Jim said to him that, well, I'm not a sinner. I've never robbed a bank or killed anyone. He said, because in his mind, you had to do something to like rob a bank or kill somebody to be a sinner. And then the man from the Navigators asked him to read this verse in verse 28, but I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And that hit him deeply because at the age of, at that time he was 18 years old and he was already addicted to pornography. There wasn't any internet in that days and so, but 
he got a hold of a lot of pornographic magazines because when he was 14 years old, he worked at a gas station on the highway that went in and out of New York City. And the salesman would come on Friday nights and they would throw all their magazines away on their way home. And so he would get those magazines. And so here he was now at the age of 18 and he thought nobody knew. He thought nobody knew. He thought that it was his secret. So when he read this verse, verse 28, it shocked him and it grabbed his attention. And that's what caused him to then listen more as the navigator said, but God has a free gift for you to forgive your sin, to cleanse you. And that's when he started going to a Bible study at the Navigators. And then later, when he was alone in his room, he confessed his heart adultery to the Lord. And that's the power of this verse to show men the issue of sin. Now, the Lord now is going on, and he addresses now a response where a person might say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, a little, little looking to lust, it's not a big issue. After all, every red-blooded man does that. And that's why now the Lord goes on in verse 29, and he says, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, more profitable for thee, one of thy members should perish, than that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So uh, it's interesting that the word, the Greek word that he uses here, that's used here for offend, if thy right eye offend thee, scandalon, if the right hand offend thee, it means to set a trap. It means to stumble. So what the Lord is really saying here is that in order to stop this heart adultery, there has to be control, control taken. And it's so important to control this that if the eye is offending, it's better that you lose an eye. If the hand is can't stop touching women, it's better you don't have a hand. But there is another way, uh, fortunately, than plucking out eyes and cutting off hands, and it's what Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 9.27. 1 Corinthians 9.27, where Paul said, I keep under my body and bring it to subjection. In other words, Paul is saying, I am in a constant battle to keep this under control. And he spoke about in Colossians 3.5, Colossians 3.5, about the importance to mortify your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness. And the word mortify means to put to death. In Galatians 2.20, he speaks about being crucified with Christ. Well, to die by crucifixion, you need another person to do that. You can't crucify yourself. And so that's why it says in Romans 8.13, Romans 8.13, that if we live after the flesh, we'll die. But if we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, we'll live. So it's the Spirit that brings about this death. As he spoke about in 1 Corinthians 15.31, 1 Corinthians 15.31, I die daily. He said, I die daily. So the answer to the control that's needed here is this crucified life, which is described in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, in that verse, Galatians 2.20, there are four very important points about this crucified life. The point one is, I am crucified with Christ. Me there. I have been crucified with Christ. 2,000 years ago, I died with him. That's the first point. The second point is, nevertheless, I live. So in other words, I do have a life. It's a new life. I have passed from my old life to my new life. I have a new life now that's completely different 
from my old life, and now I'll explain how it's different. And that's the third point, yet not I. Yet not I describes my old life. Not I means that in my new life, my first priority is not I. That was my old life. My first priority was I. But now not I means my new life is no longer centered on me. It means I no longer am thinking about myself. And then he goes on to say, and the fourth point is, but Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me means that the new life, it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. Christ liveth in me means my life now is centered on Christ. It means that I'm thinking about Christ, and my new life is just consumed with the thrill of the fact that I have his constant companionship, that I'm a friend of his, that his presence is always with me because he's living inside of me. And this is the crucified life, and this is the way to stop the heart adultery from the looking and the lusting. Now, he's still on this subject of adultery, and he turns now to the subject of divorce in verse 31, Matthew 5, 31. He says, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Now here he starts off in verse 31. He says, it hath been said. Now that's different from what he said in verses 21 and 27 when he says, it hath been said by them of old time. We don't have this by them of old time in verse 31. It just is, it hath been said. And the reason is because in the case of murder and adultery, that was based on the scriptures in Exodus 20, verse 13 and 14. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. But now when it comes to divorce, there is no scripture. There is no thou shalt divorce. And so by omitting this by them of old time, he's showing that divorce is not of them of old time. In other words, divorce is not of God. In other words, the prophets of God did not give a direction toward divorce. That's why it says, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife. Now, as a matter of fact, the Pharisees actually twisted this, perverted this, to actually imply that Moses did say are commanded to divorce. And that's what he said. Matthew 19.3, Matthew 19.3 says, the Pharisees came unto him, tempting him, saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? It means for any cause. And he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they're no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They said unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away. He saith unto him, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffer you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So the Pharisees come along and they say in Matthew 19, 3 and verse 3, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? That was their position, that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. Like in court today, the reason that's most often given for divorce is incompatibility. What's that mean? They don't get along. Like last Friday, I met a at the Del Mar Fair, and um, he told me he was married for 22 years, and then he got divorced. And so, you know, of course, me not being bashful, I said, why? And he said, because she was very strict. 
all right? <laughs> she was very strict. And we've all seen these advertisements on the road. Quick divorce. Well, the only allowance scripturally for divorce is what is fornication. Now, it's interesting when he said except to be for fornication because the Greek word for fornication here is pornio. It's not the same Greek word as for adultery. Fornication happens when a person is not married. Adultery happens when a person is married. What Moses actually did say about this issue is that if a man discovered that his wife was not a virgin when they got married or that she had committed fornication before they were married, he was allowed to divorce her. That's in Deuteronomy 22, 13. There's a big, long history there that if a man takes a wife and starts to say that she wasn't a virgin, then the father of the wife and her mother should bring... Anyways, it goes on. And, and so it's very interesting when you look at the case of Joseph, Joseph with Mary, because he thought Mary was not a virgin. And so he thought to put her away. And the terms that are used in Matthew 1.19 are very significant because it says, Matthew 1.19, then Joseph, her husband, her husband. So he's identified as her husband. Being a just man and not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily. Now, the Greek word that's used there for put her away, is actually that same word is used twice in this Matthew 5.32, verse 32, that same word. Whosoever shall put away his wife. That's the same word that Joseph was minded to put her away about Mary. And then it says, whosoever shall marry her that is divorced. That's the same word. That's the same word, put her away, that Joseph was thinking about for Mary. So this allowance that Moses gave for divorce was referring to a discovery, as Joseph had thought he discovered, that a woman was not a virgin when they got married, and it was not referring to adultery within marriage. Because even in that case, when a man discovered his wife was not a virgin, the man couldn't get a quick divorce. He had to actually sit down and write out the reason for the divorce. And that was designed so that a man would really consider what he's about to do here and ask himself the question, do I really want to do this? Am I allowed by God to divorce my wife? It's not like to put away your wife for any cause, but is this actually applied? So the subject here that the Lord is talking about is adultery. And he's saying in verse 31 that what man sees as a valid reason for the end of a marriage may not be accepted by God. In which case, God sees the couple still as married, and if they're married, then any future union that the woman or the man might have is adultery in God's sight. And we live in a world today where divorce is as common as marriage. If a couple is together for a long time, it's so unusual that people say, how do you do that? How do you stay married for such a long time? And the Pharisees had twisted what Moses said, and they said, well, all you have to do is, if Moses commanded, that you write the bill of divorcement and then you commanded to divorce his wife. It's amazing that when a person today, a believer, wants to divorce his spouse, how that person can see how God wants the divorce. You know, things like, well, she doesn't want to follow the Lord and I want to follow the Lord, so God wants me to divorce. Or she makes me unhappy and God wants me to be happy, so God wants me to divorce. God's standard is for there to be marriage. It's like Billy Graham was asked one time, he says, have you ever thought about divorce? And he said, no, divorce, no, murder, yes. (laughs) So the best way for believers to stay married is to see it from a biblical point of view where divorce is not an option. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, your word this morning. And we pray that, Lord, you would make this word to, to live within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 